I don't know if you've been watching that series on TV or not, but uh, it's worth it. It's good. It's the third week tonight. Tonight the Holy Spirit comes. Amen. And you know, it showed in that little clip how the how it ended, uh, how the fire came down and then how it went back up. But you know what? It didn't go back up. <laughs> the Holy Spirit is still here. I'm beginning a series of messages this morning on the Holy Spirit. And I'm not really sure where it's going to end up. But I know it's going to be good. Not because I'm speaking it. Because I believe the Holy Spirit's going to show up. You know, talking about the Holy Spirit is one of those topics I feel very unqualified, very eager to do. At the same time, I'm very, I'm very anxious, I'm very nervous, I'm very uptight because it's such a huge person that we're talking about. The Holy Spirit is not an it. It's a person. It's a person. And I feel that as we move closer to the end of time, which every day is, one day, one step closer, that the Holy Spirit's role is going to be so much more actively involved and necessary, just like it was necessary that first day, just like it was necessary when that early church came together and they had to take their stand against the enemy, they had to take their stand against the people of the day, of the enemy of the day, we're going to have to take our stand against the enemy of the day even in more persecution than they did. And if the power of the Holy Spirit was required then, believe me, it's going to be required today more than ever. So for anyone that says that the Holy Spirit was for then and not for today, I'm sorry, that's not true. The Bible does not indicate that. The Bible is very clear that the power of the Holy Spirit is necessary for today. And, it's po and, and we, need, we must have the Holy Spirit in our life today. And if we're, going to, if we're going to survive, if we're going to be part of the faithful remnant that makes it through, we must understand what the power of the Holy Spirit is. We must move in it. So today, beginning this week... We're going to talk about the Holy Spirit, and we're going, to, we're going to break it down step by step, and we're going to understand the basics of who the, who the Holy Spirit is, what His purpose is for us today, what His purpose is in our lives, what our purpose is for this church, and what we're going to do as a result of it. The Holy Spirit is by far the most underestimated and least understood member of the Godhead. And for good reason, if you're looking at it from the enemy's perspective, because the enemy trembles when people talk about the Holy Spirit. The enemy gets furious when people start exercising and walking in the power of the Holy Spirit. The devil is very much threatened by any discussion or any attention that the Holy Spirit's given because he knows that is the thing that's going to destroy him in the end. The power of the Holy Spirit will destroy, has destroyed, has conquered, and will continue to conquer. And since the Holy Spirit is the active member of the Godhead today on earth, he is the active member. God the Father and Jesus the Son are in heaven. The Holy Spirit is the active member today. He is the one that's coming against Satan today. That's why the Holy Spirit is such a threat to him. And that's why, th that's why there are so many people, and that's why there are so many, um, there's so much deception in this world about the influence and the power and the necessity of the Holy Spirit in people's lives because he is the active agent today that is coming against the enemy. It's him. And as we dig into, into this topic deeper and more intently, I believe that the Holy Spirit will show up personally in our lives like maybe he hasn't before. I pray that he does. 
I pray that he's doing that. He is in my life even as we begin this discussion. I've been doing a little bit of research, and I'm going to continue to do more research on this subject, and I'm obviously using the Bible. I'm also reading some interesting books written by John Bevere, Dr. Alex Ness, and from various other sources. So I just want you to know that this is just not my ideas. I'm not, I'm not conspiring this on my own. I'm, the, I'm, I'm not taking credit for this. I'm just trying to be the oracle of it all. There's much written, and yet there's still much misunderstanding about the person and the presence and the purpose of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that over the next few weeks that we begin to understand and dig into this. There's much fear also about this topic because there's been many cases of abuse. There's been many people that have abused the power of the Holy Spirit or the manifestations of the Holy Spirit, and therefore it's caused much fear. And it's caused much trepidation because people say, I don't want anything to do with that because it's going to make me weird. It's going to overtake me and I'm going to do things that aren't natural. Well, that's not the truth. That's a deception. That's a distortion of the enemy. Yes, there have been abuses. But that doesn't mean that the real power of the Holy Spirit is not necessary and not relevant today. He's very much relevant and he's very much necessary despite all the people that have abused the power or neglected the power but operated in the gifts. And we'll talk a little bit more about that as we go throughout the weeks. But that is not a reason why we don't talk about him. That is not a reason why we're afraid of him because people have abused him. So I want to make some upfront statements this morning as we begin this series that talks about the person of the Holy Spirit. And these statements will kind of set the tone and, and hopefully will become more clear as we discuss them. But first, there is no Christian life without the Holy Spirit. There is no Christian life without the Holy Spirit. Without the Holy Spirit, Christianity is dry, monotonous, mundane, and quite often legalistic. Without the Holy Spirit, our efforts in living for Jesus are very laborious and tiresome, and many give up. Without the Holy Spirit, there is no fellowship with Jesus the Son or God our Father. When we remove the Holy Spirit from a church, one of two things will normally happen. Either it will morph into a country club of easy believism or in anything goes and ultimately nothing lasts. Or it will become a very religious institution made up of rules and legalism that is virtually impossible for anyone to live up to. So when the Holy Spirit is not present, it's either going to become powerless or it's going to become so much involved in religion, steeped in religion activities that he's, there no, he's no longer there either as well. So it's either going to morph into one of those two things. Either way, either way, when it's based on man's effort to please God, remember, God is not impressed with my ability. He's not impressed with your ability. He's not impressed with our attempts to live a holy life without the power of the Holy Spirit leading us into that. We don't impress God because of our goodness. Our goodness are as filthy rags. Our righteousness is a filthy rags. Unless the Holy Spirit is indwelling us and empowering us and living through us, we are not impressed, impressive to God our Father. The truth is that there is no revelation without the Holy Spirit of who God the Father and Jesus Christ are. The Holy Spirit is the revelator the Holy Scriptures are dead words and letters that bring death rather than life without the power of the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. He 
who is he? The Holy Spirit has made us competent as ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. When the Holy Spirit takes residence in a person's life and we read Scripture, that Scripture becomes alive and becomes vibrant and it gives life and it gives eternity. When the Holy Spirit is void or not there, the letter of the law brings death. The law only shows our sin. It does not save. The Holy Spirit then brings us into that saving revelation. There's no hope. There's no vision without the Holy Spirit. There's no joy without the Holy Spirit. There's no peace and no freedom without the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 17. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now we can say that where the Lord is Lord, there is freedom. Okay? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, or basically where we give the Spirit lordship in our lives, that's where freedom is. Where, the, where we give lordship, that's really important that we understand what that means because what that's saying is that I am dying to myself and I am saying yes to Jesus and I'm saying yes to the power of the Holy Spirit and when I do that, when I am making Jesus my Lord, there is freedom in the power of the Spirit. But if I'm not making him Lord... If I'm still the center point, if, I'm st if it's still all about Mike, there's no freedom there. Even though the freedom's available, it's not there because I'm not making him Lord. I have to give him all of me and turn everything over to him. And where he is Lord, there the Spirit is and there is freedom there. The Bible's clear that the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Godhead or the third person of the Trinity. Now, the Bible does not use the word Trinity in its description, but it does clearly indicate that God is not just one entity. It is three persons. And we have a hard time understanding this. Uh, so I don't know that I'm going to be able to give enough theology that's going to properly understand the Godhead because I haven't really received it other than the fact that I trust and believe that there is a Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and so forth. This passage says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image and in our likeness. Notice he does not say, Let me make man in my image. So who is this hour that God is talking about? This hour that he's talking about is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. All three persons make up the Godhead or the Trinity. Another passage that gives clear identity of the three persons is in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 10, verse 38. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and power, and how he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil because God was with him. The passage states that God the Father... God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the power of the Holy Spirit so that Jesus could do the work that the Godhead needed to have done on earth because Jesus was the manifestation of God on earth. But God the Father anointed Jesus the Son with the power of the Holy Spirit. There's three persons working together. Another passage 
is in Matthew chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. We all know this, where this was the, 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 when Jesus was water baptized by John the Baptist. Matthew chapter 3, verse 16. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven, op heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, This is my Son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Again, we see three clear identities, three clear three, three persons, God the Father speaking as a voice from heaven, the Spirit of the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on the person, Jesus Christ. So very clear distinctions that have different functions. They don't overlap. They coordinate together. The very specific functions that they do as a Godhead. But why do we have a hard time understanding then the Holy Spirit? When we see clearly He's there, He's a member of the Trinity, He's a member of the Godhead, why are we having such a hard time with this? Well, first of all, we can think of in our minds God, our Heavenly Father. Because when we think of a Father, we can think, we can envision a Father in a good sense. Now, I'm assuming that we've had good father relationships. Now, maybe we haven't had good father relationships, and, but, but God, our Heavenly Father, comes in the form of a heavenly, loving Father, like we've experienced here this morning, how much He loves us. So we can imagine what this Father looks like. We can, we can see ourselves sitting in the lap of the Father. We can envision that. We can have, imagine having a conversation with Him like we would any other earthly Father. We can envision Him as a Father. Jesus as well we can associate with because he came as the form of a man. He had a birthday. He had birthdays. He grew up as a child. He was, and he matured. He was taught by his parents. He lived a life just like the other people in his day lived, that we can understand that. We can, uh, we can associate with when he was hungry and when, when he was tired and when he was tempted and when he was tested, but yet in all of that, he never sinned. That much I don't understand. That much I can't associate with, but I can certainly associate with everything else in Jesus' life because I've sinned. But we really have a hard time with the Holy Spirit because we don't really have a hard, we have a hard time associating with the Holy Ghost. Are you comfortable with ghosts? <laughs> we have Casper the Ghost. But he's called a lot of names and a lot of things in Scripture that we really don't get warm and fuzzy with. Things like breath of the Almighty, the Comforter, the Counselor, the Eternal Spirit, the Power of the Highest, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of Life, the Spirit of Christ, the Spirit of Grace, the Spirit of Prophecy, a Good Spirit. These are all names that the Word uses to name the Holy Spirit, and there's many others as well. But those names, though, are difficult for you and I to associate with as a person, whereas God the Father and Jesus the Son are much easier for us to associate with a person. Now, all of these parties, all of these persons are of equal importance, strength, purpose, and relationship, and they're all very significant. One does not overrule the other. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, they all look at each other as equals. There's not one higher than the other. 
They have different functions, different roles, different responsibilities, but one is not subservient to the other. But what we do find, what we do see, is that they're always in unity together. They never argue amongst themselves. They never say, no, that's not the way we're going to do it here. And they, there's no, this is not like the three stooges. <laughs> I don't want to, that's almost a really, uh, uh, I shouldn't even say that. But God the Father and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit are in complete unity together. And they're always working in one purpose. They're always trying to work together to bring about the will of the overall Godhead together. They always work together. Let's, I want to describe some special attributes and distinctive functions of the Holy Spirit that will help us look at him and bring him down into a person so that we can really see him as a person. We have a number of scriptures here. First of all, the Holy Spirit has a mind. Romans chapter 8, verse 27. And he who searches our hearts knows the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. The Holy Spirit has a mind. He thinks. The Holy Spirit has a will. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one just as He determines. He makes decisions. He has a will. He has a purpose. The Holy Spirit thinks. He has a will. He determines. The Holy Spirit has feelings. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 30 and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit feels like you and I feel. He feels happiness. He feels sadness. He feels grief. We can please him. We can make him happy. And we can grieve him. He has feelings. The Holy Spirit teaches. John chapter 14, verse 26. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So the Holy Spirit is a teacher. He comes in the form of a guide and a teacher. He's a witness and he testifies on God's behalf. Romans chapter 8, verse 16. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. The Holy Spirit brings an awareness in our heart that there's something different within me now because I've received Jesus as my Savior. He testifies in my spirit. I just don't read about it. No, he comes in and actually gives me that, that testament that I know now that I have a relationship with God the Father. The Holy Spirit brings that in my heart. He testifies with my spirit. He associates with my spirit. The Holy Spirit speaks. Revelations chapter 2, verse 7. Whoever has ears... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He speaks to those that are listening. The Holy Spirit reveals things. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 12. It was revealed to them that they were not serving themselves but you when they spoke of the things that have now been told you by those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. Even angels long to look into these things. So the Holy Spirit is a revealer of God's purposes. He's a revealer of God's will. He reveals things to us through the word of God, through the testimony of our lives. He also imparts life into the believer as he did into the life of Christ. The Holy Spirit is a life giver. He imparts life into us. Romans chapter 8, verse 10. But if Christ is in you, 
then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you. So the Holy Spirit takes residence. He lives in you and I. Once we receive Christ, He lives. He's a life giver. And the Holy Spirit is an advocate or one that stands in for another as He shows us truth. John chapter 14, verse 16. And I will ask the Father... This is Jesus speaking. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate or a helper or a comforter to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you, and he will be with you. So the Holy Spirit is an agent of truth. That's important for us to know that. Because truth is not always easy to hear. Truth sometimes makes us a little uncomfortable with ourselves. Truth sets us apart from falsehood. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of truth, and he comes as an advocate. He comes as a helper. He comes as a person that is going to help the person that is truly seeking God. That he's going to help that person learn to obey God. He's going to teach that person how to live a life that is obedient to the Lord so that that person can have undefiled relationship with God because the Holy Spirit is teaching them truth, teaching them how to live in this life, how to live in this dark world. The Holy Spirit, as an agent of truth, tells us that. And the Scripture also tells us that the world does not know them. The world does not know the Holy Spirit, nor can it recognize Him because the world is not of truth. The world is not seeking truth. The world is seeking its own agenda, its own direction, its own platform, and the Holy Spirit doesn't live there. The Holy Spirit does not, he does not come into a place where he's not welcomed. As the giver of truth, the purpose of the Holy Spirit is to reveal Jesus Christ as the only way to the Father. And he also then is the giver of life to all that believe. The Holy Spirit is also called the Spirit of Grace. Spirit of Grace. He was prophesied by Zechariah that the Spirit of Grace would be poured out on the inhabitants of the house of David. Zechariah chapter 12, verse 10. And I will pour out on the house of David and on the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and supplication. They will look on me, the one they have pierced, and they will mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and grieve bitterly for him as one grieves for a firstborn son. The Holy Spirit is a spirit of grace. Now, we live in the era of grace today. We are not living under the law of the Old Testament. However, we still, we still fulfill the law. I'm not, he did not come to wipe away the law. The law of the Old Testament is still true. It's still viable. The Ten Commandments are still there. The many of the laws that were established are still good. Jesus now is the fulfiller of those laws, and he comes to us and the Holy Spirit then comes in an area of grace. Now, that's really good. And sometimes we look at that as, I can do no wrong now. Because I live in an era of grace, God will forgive me no matter what I do. Because I live in a spirit, I live in the era of grace. But the, Hebrew, but the book of Hebrews tells us something that's a little bit different. And it's important that we understand that we don't misuse or abuse the spirit of grace. The same spirit that Zechariah prophesied would come 
and would give us supplication and give us purpose also can bring us judgment on those who refuse to obey and come under the influence of the same spirit. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 26 through 29 says, If we deliberately keep on sinning after we have received the knowledge of the truth, no sacrifice for sins is left, but only a fearful expectation of judgment and of raging fire that will consume the enemies of God. Anyone who rejected the law of Moses died without mercy and a testimony of two or three witnesses. How much more severely do you think someone deserves to be punished who has trampled the Son of God underfoot, who has treated as an, an unholy thing the blood of the covenant that sanctified him, and who has insulted the Spirit of grace? The Spirit of grace is the Holy Spirit that's giving us intending to help us live a life of holiness and righteousness. But if I ignore him, if I reject him, then that same spirit of grace that is intended to give me the power and the ability to live a life pleasing to the Lord, if I insult that spirit of grace over and over and over again in my life and it becomes evident that that's my desire is to insult him by rejecting him, now he becomes my judge. And now he becomes the thing that seals my doom. So the spirit of grace is, is very powerful. He comes to lead us down a path of holiness and righteousness that our God and our Father requires because we've talked about how much in the past God is a just God. He is a righteous God. And he demands holiness and he demands righteousness. And the spirit of grace lives in us so that we can accomplish that. I can't do that on my own. That's one of his main purposes, one of his main missions of the Holy Spirit is to live in me and live in you so that we can be a man without compromise and be pleasing to God our Father. That's his purpose. The Holy Spirit is a real and ever-present person of the Godhead. And his purpose is to live in every believer today and be as relevant in every believer today as he was in the early church. Finally, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption. This is what I love about the Holy Spirit. He is the adopter. He is the one that brings us into a relationship with God. Romans chapter 8, verse 14 through 17. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought, you about, brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ, if we indeed share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. The Holy Spirit is the person that brings the family together. He brings us into relationship with God our Father through the power of Jesus Christ. When I accept Jesus as my Savior, when I accept his sacrifice as my covering and my uh, justification or propiti propitiation of my sin, then the Holy Spirit comes in and seals the deal. He leads me to Christ, and then he seals it up. Prior to that time, I'm just a creation. Prior to that time, I'm an enemy of the cross. And we're told that in, in Philippians chapter 3, but we're not going to go there because we don't have time. But here it is. The Holy Spirit is the bringer of healing in my life so that I have relationship. Jackie, would you come, please? You don't want to come? Does, do you guys want Jackie to come so I can close, or do you want me to keep on preaching? If you want me to close, tell Jackie to go to the piano. Otherwise, we're going to preach all afternoon. 
<laughs> there is so much more to talk about. We can't talk about it all in one setting, so we're going to have mother, mother, other opportunities to speak. But I want to read to you, though, that what John Brevere talks about in his book, The Holy Spirit, and uh, t talking about being how, how, how completely dependent Jesus was on the Holy Spirit. See, we don't recognize that maybe, how dependent Jesus was. While Jesus was walking this earth, he could do nothing in his manhood, no more than anybody else. He was completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. And that means that I have to be completely dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit. If Jesus needed to be, then how much more do I? John Brevere says this in his book, Jesus was completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. He was conceived by the Spirit. He was taught by the Spirit. He was empowered by the Spirit at the Jordan River. And he didn't do one miracle until he was baptized with the Spirit. He was led by the Spirit, and he only spoke what he heard the Spirit speaking. In John 14:10, Jesus says, The words that I speak to you I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does the works. Notice Jesus did not say the Father in heaven. He said the Father who dwells in me. This is an interesting point that John brings up. He says, wait a minute, John. Do you mean Jesus is referring to the Holy Spirit as his Father? Well, why wouldn't he, John says. Listen to what the angel said to Joseph. Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within you, within her, is conceived by the Holy Spirit. So it makes sense that he would refer to the Holy Spirit as the Father who dwells in me. The Holy Spirit was the Father of Jesus. Because the Holy Spirit conceived within Mary a child, and that child is Jesus. Therefore, Jesus looks at the Holy Spirit as his Father. You talk about the Godhead coming together uni uniquely and in unity. The truth is, Jesus and the Holy Spirit always worked together during the life of Jesus on earth. In fact, Jesus made this statement, the Son could do nothing by himself. If Jesus, the Son of God, needed the Holy Spirit, if he needed this ongoing partnership with the Holy Spirit to complete his mission, how much more do we need the Spirit to help us complete our mission? Where is the Holy Spirit in your life today? Are you allowing him to work? Are you inviting him into your life? Or are you afraid? Are you one-handing, are you one stiff-arming him a little bit and say, come this close, but no closer? No, when we allow the Holy Spirit, when we see him as the person that he is and not the it, he is not an it, he is a person of the Godhead and he wants to dwell with you and I together in this life. He wants to be the power. He wants to be your enabler. He wants to be the thing that gives you the ability to get up tomorrow morning and go to work. He wants to be the one that puts the life in you. So this morning, as we are going to continue to look at the purpose and the function of the Holy Spirit over the next few weeks, I want to invite this in your life. I want you to invite him as we begin this series. I just encourage you to be open to the Holy Spirit. To be open to the Holy Spirit. And let him manifest himself in your life uniquely as he wants to. He loves you. He's adopted you. He saves you. But he wants to fill you. 
He wants to fill you with power. He wants to fill you with authority. He wants to make the devil run because you walk into the room because the Holy Spirit's living in you. And it's for you today. It's for me. It's for this church. So as we begin to prepare the next few weeks, I just want to start it off on a good note. I want to just ask you to join with me in praying, first of all, praying for me that I can give the words that the Holy Spirit wants to give. I need your prayers. I need you to pray that the God will teach me so that I can properly define the words and properly give the instruction that would set us free and would empower us to live victoriously and that we would thrive in the days that are to come because the days are coming and it's going to be hard and it's going to be difficult and if we don't have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, we're going to struggle. Let's just sing the song that Jackie's playing and let's just take some time to invite him in our hearts and our lives today and begin to celebrate who he is in Jesus' name. Let him work. Let him work in your life, I pray. Amen. Let's sing the song and we'll close in prayer.
Father, we just come before you now. We're just asking this to happen. Lord, that as we go to our homes today, that this would just be a temporary time where we're out of together the presence of the, with these people. But Lord, Holy Spirit, be with us. Guide us, keep us, dwell within us, and encourage us, and be our partner. I pray this in Jesus' name. Lead us in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.